Welcome to Nameless Debate Radio, where radioactivity is contagious. Guys, that was stellar, by the way. Yeah, thanks, man. Like, I mean, on every occasion where where he was redirected to kind of analyze the basis of his own presuppositions, he didn't realize that he was kind of (laughs) causing the problem over and over again. Like, Mm -hmm. the... The fact that your frame of reference or one's frame of reference can't work in the worst case scenario, something like the Middle East conflict, mm-hmm. it has to work there. Otherwise, it's not even worth being entertained on the table of solutionary discussions. Yeah, right. like if you can't deal with like what, what you know, uh, it's not even just the worst case scenario. I came up with like several different examples he couldn't really account for. Right. And that was a real world like. Analogy. Yeah, that's something that's going on yeah. today that he would yep. have to fix. Exactly. If you can't if you can't deal with current scenarios, how is it supposed to deal with the even more complicated future ones? Exactly, yeah. dude. Man, that was that was a really well uh, paced debate. Like, I'm I'm so impressed. Yeah, I thought that went really well. It yeah. wasn't really uh, like it wasn't supposed to be a debate. It was supposed to be more collaborative. But the problem was he hadn't thought about it anywhere near enough. Mm-hmm. And that was obvious. And it's, it's indicative of the pragmatic frame of reference, for the most part. Like, it, it just kind of taps out at a certain point, and it spins out imaginary mm-hmm. riddles that are just, they're absurd, and sh- they're, they're like temperamental, essentially. Like, well, fine. Absolutely. No I'm taking the toilet. I know, right? And like, <laughs> and then when he would say, like, you know, we'll nuke them all. It's like, yep. dude, yeah, how can you not know that the fact that you would say that is a sign that you should stop talking? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't recommend muting up, nuking a whole bunch of people. It's like, you know, it's well recognized as one of those conclusions that says you're probably making a mistake. Yeah, it should be at least, at least an yeah. objective indicator of that thing. I reckon. Wow, man. Mm. So, do you still have time, Eddie? Yeah, dude. I'm pretty much all revved up from all that. Awesome. Um, Okay, what was it that you were saying you wanted to discuss when we were talking earlier? Well, I don't even know if... Do you mind just, like, kind of... uh, Let's see. Would you mind giving us... Yeah, would you give a sermon on hard determinism? A sermon. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know that I have that as not enough thoughts about it, like just uh, in isolation, to give what one, one might call a sermon. Okay. Like I would just say, like the world, um, you know, has a deterministic structure. That's what we describe with science. Mm-hmm. And like um, the only way that we've ever been able to do things effectively is by like deriving an understanding of those deterministic mechanics. And mm-hmm. like using them to predict what will happen if we do this instead of that. Um, and like when it comes to like an analysis of a problem, um, you really shoot yourself in the foot if you don't say um, the problem like reduces to like the variables and the rules because th- like a problem that doesn't do that cannot be solved. Like you just can't get anywhere with it. There's no correct conclusion if there is a factor that you cannot account for because, like, you, you can't account for it. Anything you come up with is going to be wrong. Hmm. Uh, wrong or incomplete? 
Well, yeah, it's going to be incomplete. But if it's incomplete in in the, in the sense, yeah, probably both. That's what I was going to say. If okay. it's incomplete, it's much more likely to be wrong. Yeah, and it's not that it wouldn't have maybe a temporal uh, range of application, mm-hmm. but mm, even still, I'm thinking yeah, so hypothetically you, right here. I think generally speaking, when you um, like come up with an incomplete interpretation and then say, well, it's true because it works. You know what I mean? Like you're, it's a sample size problem. It's that, worked so yeah. far, like so fucking what it's worked so far. Yeah. You exist for such an insignificant amount of time that that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Well, this is um, one so of the yeah. things in terms of like the uh, orders of magnitude for mm-hmm. looking at the scales of, of how we could kind of slice into the layering of what it is that reality is basically composed of or made of. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I, when I, I messaged you something about like the will of God being equivalent to hard determinism. Yeah, and for sure. Having it be something that is not negotiable, uh, it's essentially an is what it is type um, interpretation of the sum total of all the facts of existence, perhaps, is one way to think mm-hmm. of it. And then uh, when people interface with that set of information or, and variables and what have you, however we have to frame it, because some of it's going to be probabilities, uh, mm-hmm. the, the fact that our limitations are so apparent, dealing with a, a problem of analyzing that set of information, the, the notion of humility, the notion of kind of like bending knee to pray to some all-powerful entity, it, it kind of makes sense to me that people would anthropomorphize that and say, how do I make that set of information relatable to humanity, which is, if it's not embodied in a human kind of experiential narrative, so to speak, even to factor back into the kind of superstitious frameworks that we kind of mm-hmm. emerged a lot of our interpretations out of. Uh, well, that religion ends up being this kind of middle ground space of almost like the fertile crescent or what, what is the cradle of civilization for hmm. that might be the end of my thought there I haven't thought any further <laughs> so I'm interested by like what what would you say uh, praying is symbolically I would think praying is wishful, wishful hoping of some sort that things go your way or the way that you're requesting. And so it's interesting, right? But like, because I, like I, uh, I understand what you're saying, but I don't think praying does fit into that framework. Like I would say like um, servitude uh, to God mm. fits directly into that framework but praying to god just seems a bit ridiculous what the fuck are you doing it's a weird ritual to have even invoked first place maybe it's supposed to be like a meditation or self-reflection maybe that's the slightly uh confessional as well Mm, yeah yeah yeah, maybe like developing a relationship with god yeah Yeah, if god no but character like i don't understand how like the performative act of like Treating it as a person helps you do that. I think it would help you interface in a dialogue in a way. So mm, that you can but it's not a dialogue, a right? 
Uh, so you're saying like what you yeah. are you saying you create the other half of your dialogue? I because think, otherwise, I don't know what's no, happening. No, no, you you interpret it from the circumstances that talk like when you talk to God. Um, that's not the dialogue that you are engaged in when you say like He reflects back to you in the circumstances His answers. Because it's actually when you act that your half of that dialogue would be going on. And then insofar as God is the external world, the reaction to your actions would be his response. So that doesn't really, mm. are you saying like it's supposed to represent that? Is that the I, idea? I, I mean, you've expanded my thinking on it even just now. Uh, if we're talking about the notion of prayer to, I'm going to say instead of God, the sum total of all reality. And if reality then kind of awards you with serendipity and synchronicity and the things that seem like answers to the words that you use to ask it in the first place, it's going to seem like a dialogue if you start to pay closer and closer attention. Yeah, but I think, like, I, I do understand that, and I think that's all good and well, but I'm asking, like, when it comes to the actual act of prayer, do you think that that's supposed to represent the thing that's not happening in prayer like is it is it entirely metaphorical or is is there some um functional symbolic significance going into it i just don't really understand yeah do you mind re restating a question there because i'm i'm not sure i understand your question actually um okay so i'm asking like okay so let's say serving god that okay. isn't just a metaphor, right? That has performative symbolic significance. I agree. I'm saying like prayer, um, if, it, if we say that prayer might be metaphorically representative of um, the dialogue with God where, you know, uh, what happens rep reflects back to you God's response. Sure. And I would say that, that, that like your actions are your um, part of that dialogue, which disconnects it performatively from prayer. Do you know what I mean? So it's got nothing my, to do with the prayer at that stage. Yeah, like, one. You, let me see. Sorry. One's actions, um, like if if your actions are not in accord with what you're asking for, is that what you're asking? No, I'm saying like um, your actions are your half of the dialogue. So, oh. of what significance is the pretend dialogue? <laughs> yeah, I think that might be a, a bit more on the therapeutic side then. The so yeah, you think notion. Hmm. Like so it's not, well, for it's me, not symbolic then. Let me let me speak um, specifically of my own circumstance. Like mm -hmm. I I personally enjoy what could just be called talking to myself, but silently in my own head. And then when I think about that in terms of all the imaginary or fictional characters that I could play out a dialogue between, if it's Shakespeare or Socrates or whoever, doesn't matter. You kind of are just imagining some external piece of yourself, but it's still made of yourself, your subconscious, probably more specifically. And like when, when I think about prayer as just like a kind of pretend, I think prayer is just talking to yourself, essentially. But that there is some therapeutic function in doing that if you're not believing in it too much. Because if you start believing what you're praying about or thinking about or imagining about, uh, it becomes this more 
realistic so think, humor, okay. so to speak. So maybe what we're saying then is that prayer is something a sophisticated religious person does in a reflective way, and that uh, when they encourage other people to pray, the other people are doing something they don't mean. Yeah, or they're just doing it superficially to get things that they want from what they think is Big Daddy in the sky or something. Yeah, but I mean, they don't... I mean, I would say that, like, um, whenever I've heard a priest tell me to pray, he mm -hmm. doesn't clarify what he means by pray. He means talk totally. to God. Yeah. Talk to God. Well, you know, like, I'm a child. I'm going to talk to God when I want something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. Like, yeah. That's exactly how kids are, too. It's not well fleshed out. I just don't... I really don't understand what prayer is fully when I think about it. And, uh, I mean... Does someone have a, a definition on it that we could use? On prayer, did you say? Yeah. Oh, I was just using the, like, uh, you know, <laughs> the colloquial Kind of the colloquial definition. use? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God or another deity. See, it seems so weird. The way it's actually defined it makes it even less understandable to me. But that might be because it presupposes that there's such a thing to, you know, put mm -hmm. that information out to. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like, I don't know, it feels like it definitely is something that, um, like, it's misinterpreted by the people who are doing it most. Do you know what I mean? For sure. <laughs> um, it, it, I really kind of stand by the idea of it being silent wishful thinking yeah i think that is what it is for the most for, for the common person who does it you know yeah and it's it's strange to me that it could be something else to um the person who encourages the common person to do it without an elaboration you know totally like, it would require that in my opinion you would think that they would tell you what they thought the method for prayer was but yeah I, you know or what Maybe they, they probably don't want just to ritualize it? I just don't get it. Well, no, they probably would point people to Matthew and or Jesus. I suppose, but like that doesn't help no, a it child. Doesn't. It just gives one example of it, and then people end up kind of carbon copying that for all of time. So weird. I don't know. I like. I guess. I guess I don't understand it because I would think that the people who did understand would find the misuse of it blasphemous i i totally agree dude <laughs> like wait no you're doing it wrong you have to do it like this here's step one step two like have a nice little sequence about what a good prayer looks like and mm -hmm. anything outside of that rule set kind of is just the silent wishful thinking thing yeah absolutely but it just seems weird to me that like practitioners of religion accept what looks like a blasphemy to me yeah. Um, and don't find that to be, I guess, um, in opposition to their uh, moral responsibility, let's say. Mm. Yeah, it would seem at least theocratically sound to be of that standard that you're speaking to. Yeah, yeah, I just, it just doesn't... Maybe it's about not ritualizing it, but even then, it just seems strange. So are you saying, like, if they were to ritualize it, that it would... Uh... Well, I don't know. I'm I'm saying that if the yeah, I'm saying that if the people who know how to do it ritualized it, 
then mm. it would make more sense. I agree. Definitely would. Because I don't think it makes a lot of sense at the moment. I don't think that the way that modern people pray is sensible. Yeah, it's like it doesn't yeah. even make sense. Uh, it, it, I'm sure they wouldn't even quite understand what they were doing. Yeah, if you asked people like what what they what they think prayer is, they would probably just tell you. After you question long enough, they would just offer an example of how they pray. Yeah, and or they would say, "Well, why don't you pray about it?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true, very true. I and think like, that's well, I'm probably... you, how do I do it? <laughs> yeah, that's probably like what has historically occurred, though. They have probably said, "Like, I cannot tell you how to pray. You have to uh, oh. ask God." How it has to, to be pray. revealed to you. Yeah, it has to yep. be your prayer. And if you're holy enough, it will be revealed. And if you're not, then you got to keep trying. Yeah, absolutely. I think Something that, like that. That that actually makes it a lot more understandable to me. That though. does, yeah. That's that must be why they go into that kind of what seems like a well, my way or the highway mm. kind of thing. For sure, yeah. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, but Enough I feel like that. when you know when we're <laughs> a little bit of a digression because you initially yeah. asked about like. Uh, the mind of God, was it? Or the will of God? The will of God, yeah. Like, what God wants is equivalent functionally to how humans are interpreting the hard deterministic mechanics you know, of reality. Yeah, of course. I would definitely agree with that. It's interesting, right? Because, yeah. um, like, when you get an actual religious person who believes that everything um, is according to God's will, um, but then they say, well, there is evil. Or what have right. you, you know? Or rape? Um, yeah, there is stuff that isn't part of God's will, and it's because God gave us free will. But it seems like they're just failing to make the logical inference that if something follows logically from what God gave us, then He gave us the consequence as well. Right. There was uh, think- the guy that was talking about how every everyone is God, and it's all mind or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. like I've, I've wondered the question about that right there, the problem of evil, if everything is God, is God rape? Yeah, that's an interesting one, right? Like, how do you kind of start to do anything other than equivocate at that point or then yeah, go into sin? Yeah. Wouldn't they say God is you and you can commit rape? Right. So and they think that's a distinction. I, it's just such a hazy blur that would seem yeah. to me. That, like, I mean, it's I think even... ultimately, ultimately, I think, like, if you were to argue with that, they would say that you don't want to take responsibility for your own misdeeds, right? They'd God, say, who? like, oh, no, no, because, like, if you're saying, like, um, they're saying that you are the in between that can commit a rape, right? And that it's oh. not God doing it, it's you. Um, and you're saying, well, um, like, I'm deferring my existence to God. So yeah. it's God, and with my saying, free will. Their resp- yeah. yeah, their response to that would be, "Well, you are doing your things. God is not directly doing them, and if you don't want to take responsibility for them, maybe you, like Cain, will blame God, but that isn't appropriate." Hmm. Well, so I think, yeah. I mean, that's that's interesting. But that's I think what about- that story is about, right? 
I've, I've interpreted responsibility for your it own is, yeah, yeah. Let's reduce it to that because it is basically that. I don't want to digress yeah. on it, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what it looks like when I when you know I hear other people talk about it. That's what it seems like. It looks like something that is about um, not blaming the world for the tragedy you could fix. Yeah, and I mean it also to me the ever persistent conflict between older brother and younger brother. Mm-hmm. For sure, like, yeah. I, mean, I, well, I think it's kids. contextualized like that, right? For sure, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I see it all the time. Like, like I said, I run a preschool out of our house, and we have this. Like my kids have that problem. My two boys, uh, the two brothers that we have, it's just you see this endless kind of Cain and Abelism, where one is kind of naturally easy to be good, and the other one has like a chip on their shoulder. And mm-hmm. there's a slight jealousy on the one that has it easy at being good. They have to work at it. And it's, it really is a question of which wolf they feed. Do they feed the, the good wolf in themselves and you know, help that part of themselves to prosper? Or do they constantly give their T-bone steaks over to their kind of shadow, so to speak? Yeah, it's, it's really an interesting one, though. Because I Very, think like, in, yeah. children are like... They uh, very unconsciously um, embody their shadow, whereas adults are a bit more. Yep. It's I wouldn't say it's conscious exactly, but it's more like once the shadow takes control, he he is being conscious of what's happening. He is looking around. He is the one who's on watch, and he knows that he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. But oh, yeah. then when the when the deed is done, um, he sort of recedes, and it's like you you've benefited from something that um, you did. With even though you were there, you weren't quite complicit. It's strange. Yeah, no, that's a really nice way to put it, man. Uh, like the shadow kind of takes the controls, and then mm-hmm. the good guys just like let the good in you is letting it happen. Yeah. And then once the deed is done, shadow recedes, and the good guys like, whoa, what did I do? Yeah. And it's like exactly. they're just there to kind of pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's Have a good you- way to think about it, dude. I. I think I suggested that you would watch Split. Did you ever catch that movie? Did I watch what, sorry? The, the movie Split. It's like a M, M. Night Shyamalan. I don't know how to say it. Shyamalan or something. Uh, I actually have seen that, yeah. That, well, it's a little bit like that. Like, I mean, that one's... I like mean, a, the ending of that's ridiculous, but you know. Completely ridiculous, but like, let's... Yeah, up, up until the end, it was really good. Let's say that then. Okay, before it gets all supernatural. Um, everything about it seemed f- like a nice representation of what I, I well, in some ways you could call it like a, a schizophrenic that found a way to order their personality mm-hmm. in a way that didn't um that well that kind of hierarchically ordered um. Maybe uh, intelligence is going to be a crude first start for what I'm saying, but just say an intelligence because there was like the one that knew, and I, I forget all their names, but like let's just uh, yeah. say the smartest one of the split personality is kind of yeah. the head of the show. And then they all kind of like shit rolled downhill essentially, and there was a retard at the bottom. And that was <laughs> the one that messed up things for him all the time. Yeah. And I looked at that like example in terms of 
how you could kind of characterize a bit of what goes on in like just psychology in general, like the way that humans psych- psychologize or self-analyze their thoughts. They all kind of, like Peterson says, they kind of cluster into like what seem like little personalities. And whether we're aware of it or not, it's just that's one way to think about it. Um, the, the kind of technical functions behind the scenes, they all have specialized tasks that are, well, they're, they're fighting to be at the top of that like control pyramid, mm-hmm. so to speak. And the ones that aren't in that represent the same type of struggle that exists out in you know politics and all that where you have people that are like fighting to get into a system that's kind of suppressing them and not realizing how it is that they can build a new one that would co-compete with the brokenness that they see in the system but that's a weird kind of retarded almost presupposition thing that i noticed in the last debate where it's like if you could just admit that this frame of reference isn't going to account for all the ways that you could analyze the problem because it mm-hmm. obviously didn't it failed to incorporate the religious superstitious mind because yeah. you've already made a division in yourself against that part of yourself and that part of themselves then fundamentally gets underdeveloped and gradually backslides into retardation some type of slow inability to apprehend kind of present information as it's coming at him so that he's not reaching for the handgun of violence and war while advocating that war is you know solvable just if you give give up boundaries and divisions and everything will be fine mm-hmm. those boundaries and divisions a, are a strange one yeah and you I, see um, the car- cartwheels that are happening every every time i see it but it's nothing that isn't like understandable it's just mm-hmm. I wish you could so- stop cartwheeling around. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it was like, um, it's sort of like that idea. Um, it's one of the reasons that Hitler came to mind. It's the idea of like, if yeah. I was Hitler, then everything would be fine. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Like, surely you recognize that you can't just say everybody should agree and that that would solve things. Like, that's about as simplistic as an analysis gets. It's very crude. Yeah. I actually, I, I really expected um, him to have thought a bit more about it. I did too. Because he's very, he's quite intelligent, you know. I love it's listening surprising. to his thought. Yeah, and he's good yeah. intentioned as well. Like, mm-hmm. uh, he, he definitely has, like, a good percentage of what needs to be known and thought about. But there's that, like, at the bottom, the presuppositional pile. And the... the I guess, private divisions against the potential for superstition in his own. It's just, you got to find a way to familiarize yourself with that stuff, even at like a cursory level or superficial level. That's what I mean. Yeah, definitely, man. I think, I don't know. I, I'm not too sure why um, I find that he's not as adaptive as I would expect him to be, but I just like... I don't know. It goes on for a bit long without him changing right. his mind. Yeah. I don't really get it. Well, I think it comes back to that ODD. But uh, I don't want to call him on that because that, at the same time, I don't feel like that label is necessarily... Um, it's not a bad thing, first of all, to be oppositional. And mm-hmm. 
second of all, it would need to be just made a little bit more conscious so that it's like, it's almost as if someone has a, a dick that's so big that they don't realize that it falls out of the zipper from time to time. That you can be like, hey, dude, your dick's out your zipper a bit. You mind putting that thing away? And they, get, <laughs> they kind of pull it back a bit. You know? Uh, hopefully that fits. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I felt like we got him to see that his dick was out, but then he didn't yeah. put it away. Do you yeah, know what I mean? It's exactly so right. <laughs> like well i guess we're gonna just keep talking and ignore your yeah <laughs> your flapping coital appendage exactly man uh good stuff though man i i really appreciated that whole dialogue because it was mostly a dialogue and the debateness of it kind of seemed unavoidable at certain points mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, it was definitely not like being cast as a debate but at some point you, I'm not going to just let you say false things. It's, I just don't. I don't tolerate that. And you shouldn't. Like one thing I wasn't sure of too. Like I didn't know in, any of your thoughts on any of that stuff, and I kind of kept on being pleasantly delighted every step of the way when you would say things that I would hope you would say. You would raise points like the Middle East is just. You have to kind of talk about that if yeah, you're talking yeah, about definitely. war, uh, yeah. and to not have any familiarity with that. Is, is interesting if you're even going to offer an opinion about how to solve war. I thought so as well, right? Like, I yeah. didn't think that was niche knowledge. Like, no. the amount I know about it makes me feel a little embarrassed. Most adults know quite a bit more than me. I agree. Like, I know maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more in some places than you, what you at least demonstrated. And I said, yeah. I would say the exact same thing. I feel a little embarrassed that I don't know more. Yeah, because it's like, it's a huge conflict terrible stuff happens all the time mm-hmm. related to it we can't solve it you know like <laughs> i don't think i could solve it like and i yeah I, I couldn't yeah i've got a weird belief in my fucking weird mind that goes well <laughs> give me enough time with anyone and i'll convince them of anything the diplomatic yeah. route so to speak but mm-hmm. i even with like all of my what i'm learning through this ongoing dialogue between all of us is that i i just you end up having to factor in the way that you're limited so yeah, that you definitely. don't overstretch beyond what you're capable of being knowledgeable about. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, that's a very, um, what would you say? That's a very prudent. desirable, yeah, very prudent. That's a good word. A uh, very prudent way to think about it because I think that's, um, I don't know, I feel like when, when you are um, intelligent like no luck is, um, the only thing getting in your way is your ability to account for the limitations of your intelligence. Yep. Exactly. Um, and so I think that's what surprises me about how, how he's not quite as adaptive as I would expect him to be because he's bright enough to know that he should be doing what you just said before, which I said was prudent, right? He's bright mm-hmm. enough to know that. I think so too. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it properly. And I've so, wondered if yeah. it's just the the debate script running the program at that point you'd think so but like we didn't he like specifically wanted to not have any what we would we would might call like a debate you know he didn't want it to be Mm. that but then like he comes in i think it's because i identified off the bat that he hadn't thought about it enough yeah that could have been a little bit what put him on yeah, well, but he doesn't I mean, you know, seem I, defensive at the same time. No, well, that's because I didn't point it out explicitly. I just asked him a shitload of questions that demonstrated he yep. hadn't thought enough about it. 
Yeah, dude, you you had really good questions the whole way through. Um, I think that that I think part of the thing is I was thinking about it when we were arguing is that like part of the way um, that sorry part of the situation that dictates how I'm going to talk to someone really depends on how sure they are they're right. The surer you are that you're right the less I'm going to question you about what it is you think you're right about because mm -hmm. I don't have to know anything about what you think to know whether or not you're being epistemologically justified in your claims. Dude, like, so I don't have so to check on. what else. Yeah, I don't have to check what else you think. I don't have to investigate right. very far to figure out whether or not you qualify your statements properly. I can observe that very quickly. That's very cool, dude. Uh, I noticed too, like, it's that... What, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, it's more or less that, like, if you can check the structure, the the content, the details, what what's inside that structure is way less significant than the structural soundness that's holding. Yeah, it. definitely, absolutely. Okay. I would say that, like, um, when it comes to like math and philosophy, most yes. of the practitioners of the fields would agree that it is largely about the structure and not about the content. I um like I I found that that video was a bit uh, alienating because I didn't watch to the end before I had my opinion on it. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, it's not exactly that this is wrong, but it's wrong. <laughs> there, there's a weird feel to it for sure. Yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah, they punch. account. Yeah, they, they definitely account for it in the conclusion though. Yeah, and I think that the way that you can uh, kind of talk shit on a thing almost entirely while subtly highlighting all the technical high-minded things that are cool uh mm -hmm. like using philosophy to this philosophy so that you can uh convince someone that it's a w waste of their time it's like almost just like a good enough caveat and then all right now here's my endorsement it's really cool yeah do it. yeah absolutely man <laughs> i think it's a clever really clever video that um you know, it sort of tricks people who think they agree into watching for long enough to figure out that they were wrong. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. That's, that's a really good way to put it, actually. Yeah. Because if someone um, carries away the wrong conclusion, it's just, it, it's, they're probably not going to be a philosopher. But, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, that, that's accounted for in the whole structure of the exactly, man. goddamn yeah. thing. Which is exactly uh, how those structures should be made, right? I think so, because in a way, it's how you can speak English, right in like plain earshots of anyone, and have no one know what you're saying, and it's practically like a your own little code language. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah. I mean, that is one of the things I've noticed, because like for me. The technical space of ontology is is basically over the head and under the radar of the pragmatic mind. Mm -hmm. And the pragmatic mind seems to be wrapped in a bubble of utilitarianism that yeah. all of us tap into. It's like almost like beta, beta brainwaves uh, mm -hmm. in terms of... Uh, flow state jargon. 
<laughs> that space is unavoidably necessary for everyone's waking life. And when we, when we never fail to, oh, wait, let me start that again. When we fail to kind of peer outside of that bubble, there's just no possible clue that there could be more than it works and just use what works. You cut out for a sec. Do you want to do oh, the last bit again? Yeah, so, <laughs> like, I said, uh... There's no possible way for something. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, if, if you can never, like, peer beyond the uh, pragmatic and utilitarian bubble of let's just call it beta consciousness, there's, uh, there's like a, a blind spot that is almost never going to be shown to you or revealed in the same way that I look at the way a religious person of, you know, really harsh logic, perhaps, mm -hmm. thinks about like the revealed nature of God itself. Yeah, definitely. I think when oh, it's hard to say though, because you know, as neither of us happen to be one, you know, I used um, to. Yeah, I know, but your opinion of what you were then is gonna is gonna be blinded by what you are now, don't you think? Somewhat. Like I've mm -hmm. I've got like a string of continuity from like my old childhood self that thought it was going to be, in Jehovah's Witness terms, a part of the hundred and forty four thousand. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, at an early age, got implanted upon the idea that I could be special. And I ran with that because I thought that was true, and I felt that way, and I was into comic books. And really, religion was just, like, a placeholder for what ended up being a love of comic books. Well, the Marvel Universe, at least. And mm -hmm. when I started to kind of repurpose or update the religious architecture that I had been raised with, that's where I noticed that it was, well, as an eventual realization, that I was, it was all just imagination, and that people were taking that imaginary structure to the highest degree of ultimate significance without realizing it. Mm -hmm. Are so. you saying then that, um, like, you being special it w was imaginary? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Ah, uh, but you're special. You're special to me, Eddie. I'm yeah. Mean? I'm unique, and I think I'm I'm a good friend. And my wife did mention mm -hmm. recently, in a very validating way, that uh, she finally sees my gift with all of this, with philosophy and with my personality and all that shit. Uh, that I might have a way to kind of bridge a lot of these warlike divides that exist in all of our species. I think that's very accurate. I hope it's true, and. Looks true to me. Okay, cool. And, Thanks, man. I mean, it seems like you attribute some significance to how things look to me, so you know. Well, the way that you have been able to help my mind, uh, what did I call it earlier? I called it profound grounding. My mind has been mm -hmm. profoundly grounded in a way that I, I've never experienced in 36 years of living. And that largely is due to the friendship that you and I have, have fostered. Right, Not to get... I um <laughs> sorry, go. Not to get too bromancy or anything. 
<laughs> no, like uh, I feel the same way, and I think like in the more technical sense, it has a lot to do with um, DM theory, right? Like, not For it's not sure. just you know like the the back and forth that we have where I help you clear up your thoughts. It's more mm-hmm. it's more than that. It's that the way that I help you clear up your thoughts is continuous. It's the same. It's the one method. It works every time. Yeah, and that is not something that you found before me, right? Everything else has been arbitrary. This has been deterministic. Hmm. And it's really, yeah. Well, I I don't want to elaborate. Just you go. No, I was just gonna say it's a really it's a an interesting characterization because like I agree with it, but it sort of like implies what I would say is the more relevant um, conclusion, which is that there is something to it that's like meaningful in a transcendent sense, not in the. Uh, subjective existential significance yeah it's it grounds the transcendent in a way that isn't based on bullshit Mm -hmm. absolutely and i mean that's just a a very blunt way to put it but uh i've never been able to realize that i was logical until dm theory and as a proponent of it now like that it's i never wanted to talk about my theories the way that i can talk about dm theory Let's put it that way. Because I knew my shit was arbitrary. But I was going to do like a, well, here's the magician's trick about how I came up with like X theory or antinomic mm-hmm. existentialism or any of the stuff that I've named. But mm-hmm. it's been developing over time. And I do admit that I had a lot of good pieces of the puzzle. But they were never, ever... Organized <sighs> properly? Thank you. That's exactly right. They were never organized correctly. And they're still getting there. Because I, yeah, I think sure. about the debate of how, how people could stop war, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that it comes with sweeping generalizations, the removal of borders or boundaries or any of that. And <laughs> if, if I were to put a, a title to it or a name, it's the, the name would be panarchism. And it's, mm-hmm. it's the idea that you could change in the direction of better only incrementally and only at the local level. And if all the local levels would, you know, update in the same direction, that's desirable. But the idea is that they don't have to, because it would be like controlling speech. If you restrict speech any more than the rules of language restrict it, you've already lost, uh, a large section of what humanity would need to solve the problem. Definitely. You, you've essentially, um, what would you say? There has been meaning lost. Yeah. It's like when you're, when you're like um, converting between um, different types of number um, in, within, within programming. Like mm-hmm. some of the formats just don't support the extra information. And if you freely convert between them, without any thought about um, like the medium, then what you end up with is an incorrect answer. Yeah. There's, have you looked into that term semantic interoperability? Mm, I mean, I can roughly understand what you mean by it, but do you want to... I don't know like, if I know enough about the actual you know, practice or thing of it, but uh, it, it seems to be about the way that computers can talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And like the way that they end up interpreting the sets of information that they're, uh, I don't know, 
filtering through. If there's a a translator. Gosh, no, yeah, I don't really know exactly what it means, but if if something can be interrupted on its semantic level, that seems to me to be like if it's based in computer code or computer logic, it's it's something that we could mirror and find within the human realm a space that mm -hmm. gradually makes it more and more pragmatic so that a person of that uh, what is it, the pragmatic frame of reference is able to interface with it just like the way people didn't have to know everything about computers in order to log on and use the internet. So it's like a they get like a browser essentially with what I'm trying to think in this concept, which is I don't even know why I brought it up because I haven't thought through it all the way. Mm. That that is actually what I I've noticed. I do. I have really good starts to thoughts or imaginings or what have you, mm -hmm. and then I I treat them basically just like paint on a canvas that I'm splattering to see what sticks. So. Yeah, I get you. Um, and then what you help me do is either extend it or throw it in the trash bag, trash box, whatever. <laughs> I wonder if Chris is actually listening, because I think he could probably help with that distinction. I do too. But he seems to be. Got his headphones off, I'm guessing. Mm. Little motherfucker. Right? Um, Dude, he was good on that whole thing too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chris is always good in terms of clarifying arguments. I love that he brought up the whole fact of Australia as being... Yeah, I know. I hadn't even things. considered that, man. It was so, so clever and perfect. It was like almost comedically kind, actually. Yeah, dude. If he had thought a bit more before he said it, he could have made it a joke. He could have, yeah, totally. <laughs> that was really good. Really it great. really was. Oh, I do have something that we could talk about, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I'd love for you to help me kind of um, trim any fat that might be either subconsciously or just residually attached to the Paragon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely so, down for that. Okay. So my idea of it is that, you know, the bottom half represents all that is the most uh, hardly deterministic, uh, hard deterministically arrived at data sets that are pretty, I would think at the hardest level that you can go with it, that would be just like whatever it is that the LHC has collected about particle physics. Mm -hmm. If there was a way to reduce and simplify that into a data packet that you could install a point down at the bottom of that static uh, pyramid because the bottom half is supposed to represent all that is absolutely true and this is my way of trying to think about how it is because the structure makes sense to me and how I use the structure makes sense because the edges kind of serve as razor like uh, principle of parsimony so sure. they slice the nonsense away from being input into the very very tiny foundation at the which is a pinpoint and let me illustrate this point really quick. Like, it's as if like I could 
do a ballerina's pose thanks to DM theory on like data logic itself. And then my body is, you know, all the way at the top. At, so the top point at the uh, regular part of the pyramid of the octahedron would then be my own subjective starting point. And for me personally, it's just the ego of no ego, an obvious imaginary frame of reference that pretends like it's not speaking on behalf of itself. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is possible, I think, to you know, speak on behalf of a collective and be accurate, but that's... I don't know. That's kind of like a... That you would be understood at the level that you're trying to speak about something is impossible based on everyone's presuppositions that are listening to you. And even if we had an audience of all people that were deemed theoretically informed, I don't believe that everyone, like you said, would have any uh, just disagreeability. Like, that would still be a thing to have to contend with in terms of human psychology. For sure. Um, so, like, I'm happy to help try to remove the, um, what would you say, the fat, as it were. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what exactly, how do you conceive of the Paragon then? And like, let's quickly, you should probably say what the Paragon is, because although I know what you mean, um, those listening and who, who might be listening to the recording probably will not know. Thank you. Yes. So the Paragon is supposed to represent a way that we could mediate truth and truth claim. And uh, in a way, it's supposed to be a model of what the objective architecture of subjectivity itself is while it's interfacing with its environment. So it's supposed mm -hmm. to represent like object and subject all at once. It's okay, supposed so to... oh, okay, go ahead. Why the Paragon? Uh, it's a perfect example. Of what? Of perception. Oh, okay. So it's like um, it's supposed to be a perfect example of perception. It's a proposal for the way to see things. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and to okay. namely see ourselves. And but in the context of ourselves, as we interact with the world, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, what would you say? Like, could you? That, that's like what it is. Would you? Do you want to like try to fill it out for me and give me an idea of like what you think the details of that are? Yeah. So. Uh, at the at the middle of the whole octahedron stru structure, it kind of it kind of serves as like a suspension of conclusion space, like everything that because at the center of that middle point is what I'm calling the neutral data point. Mm -hmm. That's where like the mediation of an idea from a metaphorical truth, something that's really kind of deeply intuited and helpful and useful, all the other things that end up being kind of true about pragmatics, mm -hmm. if it is able to kind of get down into a space where people don't contest it, so it has some kind of individual satisfaction without neglecting the collective and vice versa. It, so, neutral data point. Like, yeah. Are you saying like something we can all agree on at the bottom? Yeah, no, at the middle. At the middle? And what do you mean by yeah. the middle? 
the middle of the structure is like a, just a little sphere um, that okay, represents. But, so you're saying like, so is this whole structure a sphere? Uh, at the middle, yes, but it's encased by a. So, like, the octahedron surrounds the sphere. Okay. No, but I think what I'm saying is, like, um, if you're not just saying the middle, though, you're saying, like, um, the... Um, it's not just middle in one axis. It's middle in every axis, isn't it? Yes. Thank yes. you for pointing okay, that so out. It's like the... What would you call it? The, the, um... Is it a fulcrum? Hmm. It's probably sure. a better... There's probably an actual thing for it. Vector yeah, equilibrium. I'm not too sure what it is called. It might like, be the vector about, equilibrium. Yeah, you're talking about. Um, hmm, it is something that is at the bottom, though, in the metaphorical sense, as in yes, it is. It is the point from which everything else is built. It is essentially the the admission of all presuppositions, and then finding out which ones of those are able to pass through the filter of hard determinism into the space of data logic itself. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, for my mind, I had to translate between the aspect of it that we can consider dynamic and the aspect of it that we have to consider that we must necessarily or apodictically consider as uh, static. Mm -hmm. so, so, sorry, go, go ahead. No, no, actually, if you have a question. Uh, I was just going to ask, like, so we, we, we've established that, like, the neutral data point is, like, um, so it's neutral because everybody can agree on it. That's right? That, because it, the reason why I think that is because it would have, like, a receptacle of the actual data that is going to be neutralized. So it's that... What do you mean neutralized, though? Uh, so, hmm... No longer contested, perhaps? Mm, but why? Because it's actually it's, true. Because it's actually true and accepted as an eternal fact. Like that. And everyone accepted starts... by what, everybody? Yeah. Okay. Or everybody so you're saying, like, it. the neutral data point is something wherein, if you do consider it, then you evaluate it to be true because it is formulated in such a way that the way that you think about it guarantees that you will think it is true. Yep, that you will be forced to side with the alternative is essentially uh, some type of limit and frame, scope, information, deception. We can list all the reasons as to why people don't end up apprehending truth, but that seems like a, a, another topic which I would put into data logical pragmatics. Mm -hmm. But right. what I'm trying to say is that like the neutral data point is itself the proposal of the structure that receives a data packet of any kind, whether it's neutral or not. It, oh, okay. So the, polarity, the neutral, right, yeah. so the neutral data point is the like proposal um, space kind of. Yeah. It's where, um, what would you say? where all information can be evaluated and none of it is um, rejected outright. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. It, like, it could be okay. complete nonsense uh, that's metaphorically significant and presuppositional basis, and all of that. But like, if it doesn't stay in that space because it's just absolute bullshit, let's say, it just it ends up having the same effect that a magnet that is of opposite polarity 
it repels out of that space. Literally just rejected. Okay. I understand that. So the neutral data point then, I feel like I understand what you mean. Cool. Um, and so the paragon is what, sorry? The paragon is just this uh, posed uh, example of perfection in dialectic considerations. Our perceptual uh, operations. So is it something that, like, when we say, like, the way that to see things, the proper way to see things, the way everybody should see things, mm -hmm. and you're saying, like, um, the neutral data point is the point that everybody can agree on, which is, can be used to evaluate any information, no matter what, um, like, constitution it has, even if it's ridiculous. Absolutely. Um, it still gets evaluated. Yep. Are we saying, then, that um, if, you, if everybody can agree on... Um, a neutral data point, are we saying that the paragon um, like emerges over time? Is it like proposed? Yeah, the par well, how, how does it happen? It's essentially like it starts with the points. Like every, every bit of uh, information, packet of information, let's say, is a sphere. And those spheres end up constituting the different points that get brought up in a dialectic that eventuate the structure of a pair of the octahedron, which I just call the paragon it's mm -hmm. synonymous. And, uh, the, the details then that fill in that structure after it kind of emerges over time with the okay. actual kind of, let's just say okay. mathematic representations. So the paragon then is the abstract shape of yes. what one might call the product uh, which is all the details, right? So if, if it had yep. all the details, would you say mm -hmm. then that the paragon is the geometric representation of the philosophy? Yes, yeah. And like, uh, I mean, more or less the tool of the philosophy. That's very interesting, right? So yeah. like in this context, just for clarity, the philosophy refers to um, like an understanding of the world and of the self and how everything therein interacts, um, which, you know, like uh, is proposed by someone that is formulated such that everybody disagrees. So everybody agrees with it. And even people who disagree are doing so in the way described by the philosophy. Yep. And they're even in some ways performatively reinforcing yes, aspects exactly. of it. That's, that's, that's the argument is that even if you uh, cognitively hold that the philosophy is not true, um, if in doing so you affirm it performatively, then mm -hmm. you have a contradiction within you. Yep. And it's exactly what we just witnessed. No luck. The mm -hmm. contradiction of his dancing around the point. That was him not coming to consideration of your proposed neutral data point, which was that, that what he's saying is absurd, essentially. And it is an absurd sure. conclusion. But well, I think that wasn't, that wasn't quite the neutral data point, though. I, did, I feel like in that uh, discussion, where I normally would not do such a thing, I actually proposed to him what the neutral data point in that context of war would be, yeah. right? It's, it's um, a presuppositional understanding that everybody mm -hmm. agrees on, yeah. basically. Yeah, and that was, like, if he could have grasped that, that would have been, in my opinion, a, a realization that he had not considered in the past. And mm -hmm. he, he rejected that, like, 
what I would say gift, but it's. Well, I mean, he did message it. me and said that like uh, he was just like a bit afterwards. He was telling his girlfriend about how he wouldn't have thought of like the some of the um, counter examples that I'd put to him if we hadn't had the discussion. So there's That's a good great. chance that he will change his mind going forward. You know, uh, yeah. But in terms of like in the moment, it doesn't seem like he's learned the adaptability that you and I, um, let's say, elevate. Yeah, and that we're actually just like we're heuristically good. For me, this is, and I'm, I'm not certain. You just, you just that, dropped like, out twice. Oh, sorry. So for me, this is heuristics, and mm-hmm. I'm not really certain that what you and I are saying is like anything other than what we should be considering. Like I'm, yeah. I'm fairly confident, certain. If I want to just overstate it, mm-hmm. that this is good stuff to consider for people that have minds like ours. But yeah, I would definitely agree with that. That being said, I can acknowledge even with that like philosophy video that you just shared. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's basically a point that that video makes. Like, you kind of have to use the thing that you're using, and then reject it a little bit, but then bring it back. It's like a love hate relationship kind of that I have with this ongoing process of basically just putting words to reality and hoping that it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay. So, Hmm. Yeah. So you're saying, so it feels like we actually captured it. The paragon would be the geometric representation Mm -hmm. of the philosophy, but it's, you said something that I wasn't quite sure I followed, which was that it was the, I don't remember exactly what you said. It was a claim more than the one that I just made about geometry. Higher. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, Thank you. Hmm. Yeah, it might have been. Sometimes I unnecessarily inflate claims. Um, mm-hmm. It's a force of habit. But let me, let me see if I can try to offer a guess. Because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times when I'm using the word is, I'm... I'm relying on like the framework that I've received from DM theory, but the the way that it comes to me is is always in like an aesthetic kind of preferential way. And sometimes, let me just say say it this much: sometimes I I can say this in a practical way too. Uh, I have such an aesthetic preference that ends up making retarded things that don't work but they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I'm always on the watch for shit like that because I don't want to mislead people. I really, I, I really like the fact that I'm one of those types that busted free from a cult and can see the cult in myself and in others and across society for that matter and have thought of fun, simple ways to help people bust out of that. In many ways, the paragon represents a way to be able to relate to your own mind in a way that allows it to call bullshit on itself and on everything else. Um, Just for the sake of, like I said, that consideration space, that propositional area. Um, Free imagining zone, right there at the middle. Is it data logical or not? Okay, if it's not, fine. It may be still significant um, in some metaphor way to a human being in a given era whatever the information or value Mm -hmm. may be but 
is that going to be relevant to the dynamic I outlined in terms of all individuals accept it and all collectives accept it and vice versa. They don't like kind of contradict in any way. It's likely that the values that most people have in the metaphorical truth zone are going to be in conflict and not actually capable of being encased in the holotech upper pyramid chamber of the paragon. So they would be outside of that octahedron space, but it would still be within an inverted, like I said, pyramid. Um, I have to sh I'll probably have to depict that part a little bit. But, uh, like, I, I gave an analogy the other night about how, like, the pyramid on the dollar bill, how it has that raised uh, top section from the base with the eye of Providence. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's kind of what I mean. Like, there, there's a disconnect in some ways with the way that people's metaphorical truth can be self-evaluated as within a paragon of perfection of some sort. Um, I kind of just misspeak right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be, like, really diplomatic here, and I think it's confusing. Uh, in essence, I mean to say some metaphorical truths are not going to be datalogically significant enough to be within the paragon. Yeah, I definitely to agree even be a metaphorical truth that would serve the dialectic of this whole enterprise. Did we cut out? Again? I think no, no, no. I had that. Okay. I was just thinking. Um, what do you? Can you think of examples? I can't really. Because uh, you don't want to, or you can't. And I also don't want to, <laughs> but I, I should. I should be kind of put to fire on. That. Uh. Mm -hmm. Let me see. Well, what do I absolutely detest that I might not need to? Uh, I found a lot of acceptance things over the past couple of years too. So, uh, I I really do. Dislike ignorance mm -hmm. of one's own ignorance. Oh, for sure. But I don't know exactly how to kind of start talking about that. Hmm. Like, well, as I a, mean, it, go ahead. Is that okay? So, yeah, I think that's denial, right? Yeah, denial. More than anything. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, denial would be the word for it because it's not. It's not exactly the ignorance that's the problem. It's the refusal to accept that you are indeed ignorant. Right. Um, so, yeah, denial, pretty, yeah. That's a good example of it, because I don't think that is something that will be acceptable once we have something that approximates the paragon, because, yep. well, you can deny it all you like. You mm -hmm. will be the one that's left behind, and it won't make a difference to anybody else if you're going to sit there in your make-believe world and deny what everybody accepts to be true. Exactly, man. Dude, there's a, a knowing biblical scripture that is still with me. I don't know the exact one. I think it's Revelation, but it's uh, 
like after the kingdom of heaven has been established, and this is a Jehovah's Witness interpretation of the Bible. So mm-hmm. take that with a grain of salt. But it says like everyone's all kind of in paradise because that's what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. And uh, the kingdom of heaven is on earth. You know, everything's perfect. But, and outside are the dogs. Uh, that scripture seems to be indicative of a little bit of the spirit of what we're talking about here. Because without getting too out in the bush with this, uh, you can deny things forever, and infinite regress is always an option. And there is no real way to stop insanity that convicts to itself. And there's a type of immaturity that just doubles down and will not uh, respond to any information inputs whatsoever. And I mean primarily in the example of a tantruming, sick, two-year-old child. Like, if it wants to scream and you want to ask it nicely and be kind and use the most gentle tone and sign Mm -hmm. language and just every mode of communication that you can imagine uh it's still rejected i've been rejected in that way by my own children and it let's just say it's like a towel dropped and they were so upset about it (laughs) that they (laughs) were screaming about it in a way that i just could not i couldn't give in to the tyranny of emotion let's say and i felt justified in not doing it therefore I just was trying to be there to help them walk through the emotion. But the fact that I wasn't giving them the thing, the object of their desire, was reason to make them perceive that I was the bad guy. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it because, you know, often what, often what we perceive is based on, um, like, the framework that we carry into a situation, not the situation itself. Yes. And I think kids, like kids especially, are very, very ignorant to that fact. <laughs> Understandably, but it's like it, it's comedic. So mm, and sure, it, yeah. it's so comedic, but it's it's fucking hell on earth to have to hear it. The sound of a screaming child is just, I tell you, <laughs> can't your blessings, man. <laughs> Then, uh, like, I've heard enough of it. I know how I react to it in, like, a shopping center, so I can emulate what it would be like if it was, like, my own child. There you go. Oh, so emulate. Good word. Uh, will you distinguish that from simulate? Yeah, of course. Emulate is to, like, um, uh, like, make a representation which seeks to be authentic to the original. Mm. Simulate is, like, try to make the original happen again in a like in a, not exactly it's more like get get it exactly right that's a simulation emulation oh, is um Thank you. get the spirit of it right um, yeah emulation sort of, yeah you get the important stuff right this is what the paragon is that's an emulation of my imagination oh okay i think okay. i get you that and that is exactly what i meant the other day you i use the word simulate and you're like i don't know if that's accurate and i was like it was just the only one I had in mind, but mm-hmm. emulate gets closer to the point. Yeah, that would make sense. Cool. Right. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, no worries, man. Um, 
so do we have do we have anything else to talk about today or <laughs> I mean Yeah. Ah. Ah, he says that and then leaves. Do what he say? He was like, I might be able to help. Yes, please. Anything Chris can offer. But then he left. A little How little dare. Yep. I don't even know. What, what did he do? You know what I thought, too? Mm. Uh, well, I've thought this for quite a while, but like it's the idea that humanity needed to evolve a sophisticated, uh, a sophisticated enough relationship with language and ways that we relate to nature. And a crude enough kind of street language to accompany it in order for the <laughs> translation of approximate truth at the very least. Yeah, definitely. 